Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You are listening to It's All About Food. I am broadcasting today on Valentine's Day with my Valentine, Gary DeMattei. Hi, everybody. Hi, Karen. Hi, Gary. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day every day. I think these kind of holidays are a little silly. Yes. We should practice love every day, shouldn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, no, a lot of people are very anti-Valentine's Day. And um, there are, well, you were just chatting with me the other day about there's Galentine's Day, and I like to call it Palentine's Day to take the gender out of it. But yeah, the point is, people like to get together with people they like and do fun things together. And it doesn't always have to be with the person you are romantic with. You can just make a special day every day. We're to... social beings. We like to be with people. Yeah, especially after being locked up for a couple of years in our Apartments yeah. and houses and except and a lot of studies are showing now that we've kind of forgotten how to be social and more people are preferring to stay home and getting kind of lonely. So let's bring it back. Let's bring socializing back. Yeah. Is, it, if you have to start on Valentine's Day, that's fine. But yeah. just reach out and touch someone. <laughs> yeah. So Val Valentine's Day or Galentine's Day, or as you wanted to call it, Palentine's Day. Part of the words we're watching. This is what Merriam-Webster says about Valentine's Day. Many people have a kind of love-hate relationship with Valentine's Day. The holiday is disparaged as a manufactured holiday foisted upon us by greeting card companies. And there's often a sense that it's only for people who are romantically paired, making it feel rooted in exclusion, all of which sets the stage perfectly for Galentine's Day. That's right. Galentine's Day, a day for women to celebrate their friendships with their lady friends. It's Valentine's Day with your gals. Which um, is funny, Gary, because you just talked about how Valentine's Day give, gives people a feeling of exclusion. <laughs> Galentine's Day, is that excluding any particular gender? Right. Which is why I am now saying I like your idea about Valentine's Day. That's Thank much you. better. Much better. Happy Palentine's Day. Every day. Other words to watch. There's a lot of words to watch out here. So when you're talking about romance and you're talking about relationships, there was a great piece in the style section of the New York Times on Sunday that was written by Gina Cherulus. And I hope I'm pronouncing Gina's last name correctly. Picture this. You're single and cobwebbing, quote unquote, in the aftermath of your previous failed relationship. The attractive person you thought had quote unquote riz, R-I-Z-Z, is starting to exhibit quote unquote beige flags. You turn to your continuing situationship, quote unquote, for attention, but deep down you hope to meet someone worth quote unquote soft launching on Instagram. Can you relate? To <laughs> To describe yourself as single and in search of a relationship is almost too simple a label in 2023. The way we seek romantic connections, especially with social media and dating apps, has altered our behaviors and language around dating. So these words that the New York Times is quoting 
They spoke to Natalie Jones, a California-based psychotherapist who specializes in relationships and narcissism, and Sean Bordrum, a sex and relationships expert with the dating app Bumble, to help us narrow down the top dating terms. I'll give you a few of them. I think they're pretty interesting. So breadcrumbing. Ah, that's is, a food. Right. <laughs> and today is Palentine's Day here at Responsible Eating and Living. So we're talking about all of the, the relationship jargon. Breadcrumbing is when someone consistently checks in with a romantic prospect and dangles the possibility of a date, but never follows through. Ooh, okay. breadcrumbing. Are you Cob a breadcrumber? Here's cobwebbing. Cobwebbing is purging mementos from previous relationships in an effort to move on. Now, here's a word that I hear used a lot in like Beyonce songs and different folks' songs. Cuffing, C-U-F-F-I-N-G. Hmm. Getting, getting tied down to one partner, usually during the colder months. <laughs> Cuffing. Cuffing. Uh, they mentioned Riz, R-I-Z-Z. -Z. This newer concept is short for charisma and yeah. is commonly used among members of Gen Z. It's very popular on TikTok. Miss Bordrum said and refers to someone's ability to flirt and attract a potential love interest. And it goes on. So if you want to check out some of these terms that folks are now using, go to Sunday style section and and you'll find it there. Anyway, it's important to stay current, isn't it? Karen? It is important to stay current, even if when you read back the current trends, you sound like an ancient person. And <laughs> so that's me. Anyway, happy uh, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Galentine's Day. Happy, happy day. Happy day. So that's our brief introduction to this episode on it's all about food and now i want to back up a little and say hey everybody how are you doing we haven't done a show in a few weeks i've been rebroadcasting some of my last episodes with different people i interviewed i want to get you up to date it's important to stay current right 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 so I'm actually in a show in Brooklyn called Sunday in the Park with George. Things have been a little hectic with rehearsals, but we're opening up in previews on Thursday. And then our first night is Friday. So if you're interested in seeing me and the whole cast of Sunday in the Park with George with Theater 2020, that's in Brooklyn. I will leave a link in this podcast so you can get more information on that. But that's what I've been doing. I've been busy. Gary, you've been busy. Yes, I've been busy. You've been busy. I'm really excited about your show opening this week. In a couple of days, actually, you go into previews and then Friday night's the big opening. I'll be there. So you should be there as well. <laughs> That's right. Here we are. And we're back with another episode of It's All About Food. And the food item I really wanted to talk about today, Gary, with you is the egg Excellent, Karen. Yes, excellent. The incredible, is it really edible egg? Yes, there's a lot to talk about with eggs. Now, everybody who's who's kept current, because it's all about keeping current, has been reading about how egg prices have been going through the roof. Everybody's crazy. There's this egg shortage. The prices are expensive, not just because of inflation, but because of the avian flu, 
lot yeah. of chick- yeah, a lot of chickens are getting sick and a lot of chickens are being snuffed out right. because they're sick. And we don't take care of our chickens that get sick. We just kill them and start over again. Uh, and it's really a very unpleasant scenario. Right. A and lot that, of folks are hoping egg prices never come down. And I know that we're two of those people. Your friend Marla Rose just wrote an excellent, an excellent piece in Veg News on February 13th titled, I hope egg prices never come down. Chickens deserve better. Author Marla Rose dives deep into the history of how eggs came to our plates, the brutal industry that gets them there today, and a hopeful future where eggs can be enjoyed without harm. So if you want to check that out. I definitely want to read that. Marla is a great writer, very passionate and knowledgeable about the vegan movement and why we want to avoid exploiting animals for all costs and reasons. People are hysterical about it because a lot of people rely on eggs because they've been a relatively inexpensive food. Or can I make a pun there? Inexpensive? (laughs) (laughs) Inexpensive food? Very good. But the prices that we've seen for eggs in the past aren't real prices. They're prices that are brought down because we pay all kinds of subsidies and benefits to the growers of chickens that raise eggs. And then of course, the whole industry now is vertically integrated so that one major company will own all the pieces that bring the egg to our table. And there's a lot of different layers that are involved, but they cut costs at every level. So not only are chickens horrifically treated from birth until death, and their death comes at an untimely time, these birds can live much longer if they were given a natural environment, but they make more eggs than they ever have because they've been bred and fed and trained with lights and just a disastrous environment to lay more eggs than they naturally should. So it's a it's a lose-lose from the chicken perspective all around. But costs also affect the workers at all of these levels in the industry. They're paid very little. They're not treated well. And this goes not only for the egg-laying hens, but also for the roasters, the chickens that are destined to have their flesh eaten. It's uh, unpleasant all around. Anyway, so I'm right there with Marla, hoping that the prices stay high, but it looks like the egg prices are dropping. But the avian flu isn't over. In addition to that, there will be other avian flus that we will see. In addition to, who knows? I, I don't think we're done seeing pandemics that will affect humans, but they're definitely, viruses are definitely affecting animals because we don't raise them in healthy conditions. They're crammed in filthy environment. And, and it's just, it's just a Petri dish. <laughs> for right. creating these Well you have you have always pandemics. said you have always said that we haven't seen the end of pandemics and that's not just a, a statement that you just made off the top of your head you have some solid science and some pretty reliable sources backing that statement and you have talked about your friend Dr. Michael Greger who is an also a believer in the fact that we haven't seen the last of the bird yeah. flus was And he actually- wrote a book 
right. called the bird flu. And then he updated it when the coronavirus pandemic came out. Yeah, there's some pretty solid science backing the concept that birds created the coronavirus specifically bats. And this is because of horrific conditions that you speak of, that these animals are kept in captivity and and share their diseases with not only one another, but with the handlers, the people that handle these birds and are paid horrible wages and are then going home to their families and spreading this virus. And then they spread it to their neighbors. And well, we saw the results of what happens then. Now, Gary, you and I and many people that are listening to this, we all know what we need to do to make the food products that we like that are traditionally made with eggs. There are so many different products out there that are plant-based that can be substituted to be used as a binder and a variety of things. My favorite is if we're talking about substitutes, you know, in addition to all of the things that are they're now on the market, for example, just egg substitutes and things of that nature. But my favorite is the garbanzo bean. The garbanzo bean makes a wonderful egg replacer for scrambled dishes, as does tofu and all of the basics, all of the classics, the OGs, as they say. <laughs> so, um, but there are a lot of new products out there that are trying to mimic the taste of eggs. And I just, I don't understand that. I'm, I have a real problem and, and I'm guilty of trying these things, but I have a real problem. And I've said this before on this program with people who are continuing to try to mimic the taste of cooked flesh. And why is that, that we can't evolve or move on from that concept? Why is it that even these folks who are trying desperately to to help the animals from their suffering are still trying to mimic animal flesh in our food what's up with that i i don't i don't i have a real problem with that can't we move on can't we evolve away from this taste of blood and and amino acids from animals and <laughs> just yeah, you're not alone, but there are some that say that if we continue down this particular path as a means to get people off the animal, as you like to say, by creating these meat analogs, these plant-based meats that taste like meat, then we will never, ever get off the animal. Right. It's the just continuing to make us continue to want the taste of flesh. Yeah. Rather than shifting everybody over to delicious, wholesome plant-based foods that are good for us and good for the animals and good for the planet. And we know how satisfying and delicious they are. As long as we stay on the path to create by any means, these highly processed foods that have the look and feel and taste of animal foods, then we will never get off the animal. But I know that Many people people say, as long as we do stay away from killing and torturing animals for food, I don't care what other people eat. And so a lot of these products are not only mimicking the taste of flesh. You know, you always hear somebody say, oh, I tried this, this, this uh, fake chicken and it tastes just like chicken. And I just, I always hear that and think, why do we care about it tasting like chicken? Why can't we move on from that? You know, when yeah. we go to these vegan Chinese restaurants from time to time. And some of them have, they have a lot of traditional Chinese dishes using vegan meats. Right. And 
And I think some of them are fun to have from time to time. And I taste them and I'm not thinking, oh, this tastes just like beef. I'm thinking, oh, this has a nice chewy texture and a salty seasoned flavor. That's right. pleasing. And I think that if it tasted like meat, I would, wouldn't want to eat it. First, I, right. I wouldn't be sure if it was or wasn't. Right. I like to know that it doesn't taste like meat. It tastes like just something nice and chewy. It does. It tastes better, actually. It tastes better than than I remember meat tasting. There, I think I'm also guilty of going to restaurants that have meat analogs. For example, we like to go to Buddha Bodai in um, lower Manhattan, and they use a lot of the meats, the fake meats that you were referring to. And I think they're very tasty and it's fun every now and then, but I'm not doing it because I, I'm longing for the the memory or the taste of meat, but I'm still doing it. So I'm, I'm as I mentioned earlier on this, I'm guilty of it. And I'm wondering why, I, I think we just all need to make a conscious effort if we're trying to leave that taste behind to evolve and work with new products that are not new at all, that have been around for many, many years, like the garbanzo bean and like the soybean. And I know that we're really big with beans in in this household at Responsible Eating and Living. They are magnificent in creating burgers and bean burgers are one of my favorites. I know when we go out and I get a burger, if they have the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger on the menu, I won't get a burger. But if they have a house-made burger that's made with beans and, and grains, I'll definitely try it. I'll even go as far as to try a, a burger that has been made with mushrooms because they're so great at hiding the taste of the mushroom within the burger. So, Well, it's not the taste that you don't like, is it? It's the texture. There's an aftertaste that a mushroom has. Okay. Maybe it's because I was brought up on, on very strong flavored mushrooms. You know, we used to always get these dried porcinis and all of that. And they would, yeah, maybe it was the texture. I think I'm getting over it though. I'm, I think I'm breaking, breaking I, the- I'm proud of you too, because yeah. mushrooms are really good for us. Yeah, mushrooms are great. And again, I'm doing, I'm, I'm saying nothing that isn't, that hasn't already been said thousands and thousands of times by millions and millions of people or millions and millions of times by thousands and thousands of people about how mushrooms are a great replacement for meat in yeah, the diet. I, I think I, I remember in one of Rin Berry's books, Rin Berry, who unfortunately passed away, I don't know, about a decade ago, he wrote a number of books on food and religions. And he put out that when Jesus was referring to meat, he was actually referring to mushrooms and there was something lost in the translation. I remember reading about that. Yeah. Rin was one of the originals. One of the originals. Yeah. I want to say one more thing or a few more things about eggs. There's a new company and this just kind of tickled me. It's an Israeli company and they're making a plant-based poached egg. Oh, wow. And you can go to their website. It's called Fast Company. And the that's where I'm, I'm reading the article. And the c company that makes it is an Israeli company called Yo Egg. 
And the yo is from one of the people involved in making the egg. Her name is Josefa. So they're calling it yo egg. It's cute. But you can see a little video of the actual plant-based egg. And it's got the nice firm white that you pierce and cut into. And then you get the runny yolk inside. And right right now it's just used in a variety of restaurants in Israel. And it it comes with special machines that they use to make the product. I have no idea what the ingredients are. I have no idea what the instruments are that they use to make this product, but they're looking to expand. And, and people come to these particular restaurants just for the plant-based egg. It's kind of like a novelty, I suppose. Right. And, and it was made with tofu and pumpkin. Originally. Right. Originally, but now I'm not sure what they're making it out of. But it's really fun to look at. I know that I've made on occasion, I haven't done it in a really long time, but I used to like making hard boiled eggs. I would make the white from. You would make so, vegan hard boiled eggs. Vegan hard boiled eggs, of course. Um, I would use silken tofu blended and I'd mix it, cook it with a little agar and put it in a egg mold and it makes just the perfect egg white. Right. And and then you could really make the egg yolk for a hard boiled egg out of anything and season it or deviled eggs because the yolk would be a little soft. And they were fun and fun to look at as an appetizer for a party, but it's not something that I need to eat every day, but still, you know, people want to hang on to traditions. And I'm not sure if this yo egg company will catch on and if it will be easy to expand because the technology may be a little complicated, but I think it's just the novelty. Right. Just the novelty. And when we were at a, uh, a function at the James Beard Foundation at the Beard House, and Tal mm. Ronan was the chef. I remember one of the dishes was a pasta dish that had an egg yolk on top, and the egg yolk was made with a. It was tomato. A tomato it was a product. Yellow tomato. It was yeah. a yellow tomato, and it was scary. It was you know you pierced it, and the way they they had the, they used nitrous oxide I think to, to drop these little yellow tomato plops and then remove them immediately to make sort of a a membrane around this to encase this yellow tomato yolky substance that they made and you could pierce it with your fork it was crazy and it was it was with uh with Tao and his his partner for the crossroads restaurant but the and- thing about that is that that was just i'm saying just that was just the egg yolk and right. this company, Yo Egg, is doing the soft, runny egg yolk inside the firm egg white, like a poached egg. Yes. No, I, I'm on the website now, too. And it uh, it's fascinating. Gosh, it's really... It, it's fun. It's fascinating. Uh, but just keep in mind that in 2019, the United States produced more than 113 billion eggs. This, uh, that's astounding. 113 yeah. billion eggs. That's just the United States. If we're going to get off the egg, <laughs> it's going to take a lot. A tremendous amount. We were just reading a piece again in the Times about a cafe in Los Angeles that Harry Styles mentions in a song <laughs> called Falling. 
what is it? The Beachwood Cafe? Yes. The mom and pop. And then, you know, the socials had him there eating eggs with his ex-girlfriend that he's singing about. And there's a line around the block to get into this place to get eggs. <laughs> and it was just this little mom and pop. And, and the piece is incredible, right? And now there's this group of people called Harry's who dress like in colorful sweaters and dye their hair and do different things in homage to Harry Styles and his videos. And they they get to this Beachwood Cafe, this little mom and pop in Los Angeles near the Hollywood sign. It's it's in one of the little towns near the Hollywood sign. Line up for hours just to get in. And the owner has never seen such an incredible upswing in his business just because somebody mentioned this little breakfast cafe in a song someone as as popular as mr styles this this is an excellent story yes and i'm not ecstatic about it (laughs) in fact it's giving me existential angst (laughs) but i find that we're in an inescapable situation (laughs) when we're dealing with humans and eating eggs i set you up for those puns (laughs) And they were excellent. Thank you. And remember, wash your hair. Otherwise, you can get eczema. (laughs) I think eating eggs is also related to having the potential risk of eczema. You know, I think you're right. Isn't that funny? I know I heard it somewhere. I probably heard it right here on Responsible Eating and Living's It's All About Food. (laughs) But today it is truly all about food. And we are trying to get off the egg puns, but I'm sure we'll have a few more for you before the hour is over. If you have any terrific puns using the word E-G-G, let us know at (laughs) info at realmeals.org. I think I'm done with the egg. How about you, Gary? I think we're done with the egg. Let's move on. I want to talk about Seth Tibbet. Yeah, this is Great news or not yeah, so great so news. So I had Seth Tibbet on the program a while back when he came out with his memoir. And it was a lovely story about how he founded the Tofurky Company. And he has talked for a long time about how it was important to keep it independent and family owned. And now after doing that for 44 years, he is transferring the ownership to Morinaga Nutritional Foods. Right. And this is really big news because for a long time he said he he wouldn't do this, but he's still to some extent sticking to his promise because he didn't sell out to a big unprincipled company that we wouldn't want to support. Yeah, he felt confident about transferring the ownership to Morinaga Nutritional Foods because it's been a noble and ethical supplier of their organic tofu for the past 17 years. I'm using his words, noble and ethical. While he's still going to be involved in the company, I think, you know, nothing is forever. His story started around in 1980 after making from scratch tempeh to share with friends and family, a 30-year-old teacher, naturalist, Hippie Seth Tibbet opens his own company in Forest Grove, Oregon. He expands operations to a vacant elementary school in 1983, 
and decades ahead of the tiny house trend, he builds a 300 square foot treehouse to call home. Fast forward to 1999, 1995, Tofurky debuts the very first holiday roast. How many of you have eaten that holiday roast <laughs> around the holidays? It strikes a cultural chord with a nation hungry for a tastier meat-free Thanksgiving. Today, Tofurky's growth plans include new products, but also new countries. That's from their website. But they haven't, they don't have a story yet about the sale. So you're hearing it first here. And again, we're talking about we're talking about mimicking the taste of meat. We're talking about not using animals to do this. He did it with Tofurky and Tempeh. Well, what I liked about his products is that his products are made with food. They're made with right. food ingredients. They're not made with laboratory ingredients. They're mostly soy and seitan, which is wheat based and with seasonings. And uh, and he's also made tempeh products and tofu products. They may be a little salty for me because right. they are a commercial processed food. But I sure. think these sure. foods are are reasonably okay relative to the ones that are coming out today that from that are science laboratory based right these eggs and these other cell meats and things like that but i guess they're using animal friendly as a way to sell their product and to me it's subconsciously still keeping the animal very much involved in consumption and yeah. my idea would be, how can we get away from, how can we just leave the animals alone altogether? I, I think that should be the next step. But again, as you mentioned, billions and billions of eggs are being produced. And so that also, to me, says, and I know we're, we're leaving the egg subject, but the bird subject, I think, is something we still need to discuss is these animals that are tortured and then we consume them, we're consuming that, that torture. And it can't be good for us in more than one respect. I mean, we can't be be good for our health, and it's not good for us. You know, there's oh. no there's no proof behind it, but anxiety is going up in humans. This feeling that many people have of being uncomfortable in their skin and frustrated and afraid. And some people certainly have have experienced some kind of trauma, either perceived or real right but why is all of this happening and i i think to some extent it happens because we consume the chemicals from tortured animals and we feel those chemicals that makes a lot of sense it doesn't it really feel does. good in the body it makes a lot of sense i'm i i know that there's still the jury is still out on this but i i have to be i'm i'm in agreement with you I think that we consume that that anxiety that those animals are. Now, hey, I know a lot of vegans that have anxiety, so it's not the end all only reason. Right. I think it contributes to it. Absolutely. Okay, new subject. Okay, let's move new on. New subject. Move Re on. Move. <laughs> a new recent article in the New York Times had to do with menopause. Yes. Menopause, hot flashes, and 
The article is called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause, Hot Flashes, Sleeplessness, Pain During Sex. For some of menopause's worst symptoms, there is an established treatment. Why aren't more women offered it? It's a really interesting article. I have to say I'm glad it's out there because we need to be talking more about menopause and women's issues. It's starting to happen. We could be doing it more. So it needs to be a conversation that's not uncomfortable to talk about because we can't find solutions unless we can talk about things at the very minimum with our doctor. Right. And and the article even talks about how doctors aren't wanting to talk about some of these issues. And we're going to dig into a little bit of what some of the article says about a variety of issues. But the thing I want to point out first is not what the article says, but what the article doesn't say. Yes. And this happens all the time. Right. Okay. So what is it that the article doesn't say? Can you guess everybody? Hand raised. I'm I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. (laughs) Okay. What do you think the article doesn't say, Gary? It doesn't talk about diet. It doesn't talk about diet. Right. Okay. So anything health related, anything health related, and this includes the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. The number one thing humans should do for any improvement in health is to eat a whole food plant diet, minimally processed, organic, high fiber plant foods, minimum. And I agree. We haven't heard it from mainstream media at all when it comes to COVID. And we've been going through this thing now for years and we're still not hearing it. We're hearing it in our alternative health circles. Absolutely. But now we have the norovirus, the stomach flu that's going around. That's very contagious. And the things that we can do to prevent these things, number one, Nutritional excellence, so our body can take in viruses and fight them and leave them behind. You know, maybe we'll have a little reaction. And like some of you may remember when I was talking to Kim and Nelson Campbell, they were talking about how taking in some viruses and having flus and getting sick, but just mildly sick, is a good thing for our body. It kind of exercises our bodies. But the other thing, in addition to an excellent diet, a nutritionally excellent diet, is washing our hands. Right. Okay. We've heard it it. before. You're going to hear it again. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. And then the, the other thing, of course, is exercise. And... I can't say enough about how important it is. I know I'm I'm in a show right now and I'm rehearsing all the time and I may not be exercising as much as I like, but I'm doing what I can. And I hope when the show opens on Thursday, I start to work out a little bit more back to my normal routine. But this is also important for quality of life, health, and longevity. Absolutely. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about male menopause, too, because is it a myth or is it reality? Well, according to the Mayo Clinic Men's Health, aging-related hormone changes in men are different from those in women, and you need to understand the signs, the symptoms, and treatment options. And again, 
hormone changes are a natural part of aging. And the, the article states this as well. As well. Um, unlike the more dramatic reproductive hormone plunge that occurs in women during menopause, however, sex hormone changes in men occur gradually. Here's what you need to know. And then it goes on to debunking the male menopause myth. So there is there is menopause that happens in males. A lot of people relate it to a low testosterone level. But again, diet is the key here, folks. It really is. Right. It's not a, it's it's so it's so important to to switch to a plant-based diet when you're when you when you reach the age of male menopause. You know, when you're over 50, get off the animal. I mean, those hormones that they're injecting in those animals that go into you, they're just going to screw up your, your hormone system. I know because they screwed up mine. And yeah. once I got off the animal, you know, things like, like blood flow, you, you see where I'm going here, folks, blood flow, you know, blood flow where it affects some sexual organs. I mean, we're talking about Valentine's day, blood flow increased. And so did you fill in the blank. So did <laughs> everything else. For and more on that, watch the game changers. Exactly. Watch the game changers. But exactly. Really, exactly. Okay. But really, what Karen is talking to you about, it also it also pertains to men. The and other I'll thing that I don't know that there's much science on this, but if you're on a whole food plant diet, it's not a guarantee, but your symptoms as a woman from going into menopause is going to be less than somebody who's on an unhealthy diet. Yeah. So you, you should experience, if you experience hot flashes, they shouldn't be as intense. If you're experiencing other things, they shouldn't be as intense. And, and the reason behind that is because the drop in hormones, when you're eating an animal-based diet, you have a much higher level of hormones in your body than if you're on a plant-based diet. So the the drop will be more significant when you move into menopause. The you were saying not as significant on a plant diet. You were saying the word experience and I just wanted to say maybe you want might want to change that today to egg experience. Experience. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so Very what cool. happened was that, and they're telling you in this article, there was a study that was around 2002, I guess, and you, some of you may remember it, but uh, they stopped the study early because they were noticing that not only did women have a tiny increase in breast cancer risk, but they had a much larger increase in heart heart attacks and heart disease related problems. So they shut down the study right away and as a result, doctors have been prescribing hormone therapy a lot less. And this article is saying that maybe that wasn't a good direction to go. And that for many people, hormone therapy, even though it does carry risks, can relieve discomfort for many people, for healthy women who have hot flashes that are troubling them, they clarify under 60. So what they're telling us, and this I agree with, is that we are all individuals and we should be treated as individuals. And maybe a therapy might work for someone that won't work as well for someone else. And this requires a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience <laughs> <laughs> that probably most doctors don't have. And I can't underline enough because again, this is very individual, but I really believe that if we start with a foundation 
of a healthy plant-based diet, this conversation wouldn't be as significant. And I'm really wary of promoting hormone therapy in general. Uh, it's very individual and it can really offset a lot of things and carry different risks. But this article keeps talking about women, especially in the 40s and 50s, that might receive some comfort, relieving symptoms and not have a substantial increase in risk as a result. And the risk kind of increases after 60 and especially in the 70s by taking hormone replacement therapy. It's an interesting article to read, but again, it's all about what's not in it's the not, article. What's not being said in the article. It's crazy. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Thank you. There was one line in here that I really liked. So there was a doctor that was quoted in the article. Uh, Faubian is the name. And this person was quoted saying, hormone therapy is not a fountain of youth and shouldn't be used for that purpose. You know, I think that's that's important. We're aging. Now, another thing about menopause that women should know about is that this drop in estrogen affects our bones and osteoporosis is something that we're all warned about that can happen. What can you do about that? Now, most doctors will say there's nothing you can do about it, but I, I have a word. Yes. Exercise. <laughs> lifting weights, lifting heavy weights is the only way to build bone mass. And you can build bone mass at any age. You just have to be using weights. And it could be your own weight used appropriately or weights, heavy weights. You use a weight vest sometimes. You, absolutely. You can walk with a weight vest. There's so many different things you can do. Exercise being the word to use today, not exercise, but <laughs> exercise. <laughs> right. Excellent point all the way around, Karen. Now there are other, there are natural treatments people may have heard of. I know that a variety of people recommend something called black cohosh, about 400 milligrams twice daily is supposed to help diminish hot flashes. Now, how do you spell that? Black, B-L-A-C-K, C-O-H-O-S-H. And I will admit, I tried it. Maybe I didn't try the best brand. I don't know, but I tried it for like a couple of weeks and it just made me feel off. I don't know how else to explain it, but it was a feeling that I didn't have before, not pain, just weird. So I got off of it. it has it didn't work for me. And then another thing that some people find very helpful, could be expensive though, is 15 milligrams of saffron. Mm -hmm. And this is supposed to help a lot, but it is expensive, but safer than drugs. Saffron is safer than drugs. That's a good tongue twister. <laughs> saffron is also great in food. Yum. Saffron rice and some call it risotto. Very good. But yeah, you're right. It's It's awfully expensive. Turmeric has often been called the poor person's saffron. Of course, mm -hmm. I don't like the use the use that term poor person because I think if someone is eating turmeric, they are they are not poor. They are wealthy 
and Absolutely, because turmeric is so healthy. Yeah. But on the subject of poor, low socioeconomic status was associated with the duration of women's hot flashes, suggesting that the conditions of life even years later can affect the body's management of menopause. And women who experienced child abuse were 70% more likely to report night sweats and hot flashes. This is important information. It's unfortunate, but it still leads me back to what I said in the beginning about diet and exercise, because I think there's probably a correlation with the people who are experiencing difficult conditions of life and ultimately having serious conditions in menopause. But the article doesn't want to say that. Why is that? Again, you're talking mostly not about male menopause here, but you're talking about female menopause. Well, yes. And, and you know, I acknowledge that there's been like no conversation about men and menopause and hormonal problems in men. But for the most part, Men have been studied far more than women when it comes to health and disease, and women are starting to be studied, but still there's far more information on men. And that's why I celebrate this article, because as I said, when we started talking about it, it's important to talk about it. It's important for a patient to be able to talk to her doctor about these issues, and the doctor should be able to talk about it too and be knowledgeable well, the first thing that men usually do is get testosterone therapy. And mm. there's a lot there for men to consider as well. Sometimes that, as you mentioned earlier about in this article, this article states is that it's not a fountain of youth. And a lot of people are given testosterone therapy at ridiculous amounts and it's it's too much too soon. So discuss those things with your doctor before that happens, because this can lead to a lot of other problems. I'm not saying that hormone therapy should never be used. That's a double negative. I probably shouldn't say that, but you get my point. I'm not a doctor and I haven't even played a doctor on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but I do read. I read a lot. And my friend and colleague, Dr. Furman, will tell you that if you need to use hormones for comfort, use the lowest dose possible and wean off them as soon as possible. Nicely said. Well, he's your favorite doctor. Yep. Okay. What else are we talking about today? Right. Yeah. Just a couple of quick things. A couple of quick things. One is just wanted to mention an article. It came out a few months ago, I think in October, on a website called The Conversation, Academic Rigor Journalistic Fair. And the title of the article is What Big Oil Knew About Climate Change in Its Own Words. You may have read about some of these stories that are listed in this article, but I really think it's a good read and just important to know about because it reviews history and it reviews the companies that knew about how their industry was going to impact global warming since 1959. Wow. And it starts talking about a transcript of a petroleum conference from 1959 called Energy and Man Symposium. It was held at Columbia University in New York. And there was a speech from one famous scientist 
And they were talking about global warming, saying whenever you burn conventional fuel, you create carbon dioxide. Its presence in the atmosphere causes a greenhouse effect. And if the world kept using fossil fuels, the ice caps would begin to melt, raising sea levels. Eventually, all the coastal cities would be covered. 1959. And then there are more of these prescient <laughs> bits of science that came out over time within companies like oil companies. 1965 from an oil executive at the annual meeting of the American Petroleum Institute talked about knowing about the catastrophic consequences of pollution, but there's still time to save the world's people, <laughs> but wow. time is running out and it just goes on and it really is a chilling article it really is everyone should read it we because what we see happening now we knew was going to happen and the companies involved didn't want you to know about it and we are kept in the dark about a lot of information and that. it's still going on. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I just want to share that so you might read it and share it with others. I think knowledge is power. Yeah. And, and why did they keep it a secret? Because, <laughs> because they wanted to continue selling their product and didn't want all of us to know about it. Because had we known, it's why it's why slaughterhouses are kept in secluded areas. And it's the same with, with this. Only this is happening, right? Right now, it's it's the result of this is happening now. Okay, Gary, you and I don't have children. No, we don't. We have nieces and nephews. We care about them. Our friends have children. We care about them. How is it that people who have children that work for these companies do not care about their progeny's future? I don't know. I can't answer that, Karen. I really don't. It's It's baffling. It keeps me up at night. I mean, I hear about parents who are trying to you know, take, taking their children to the doctor, for example, for problems that can be easily eliminated in their lives with a plant-based diet. And they just refuse, they refuse to, to look that way. They refuse yeah. to see it. At some point, that'll be called child abuse. I, I hope so. But for now, it's just called good parenting, taking your child to the doctor for things that can be easily cleared up with a plant-based diet. Yeah. Instead, um, they get surgery or right. medication. Or medication or, you know, and again, that's backed by science. And so there's the the major paradox there. The huge irony is science refuses to see what science is showing those of us that want to see the truth. Okay, I, so I don't know. It's it's frustrating, but that's why this show is here. So that Some people... good news. Can we talk about some good yeah, news? Yeah, let's talk about Woo! good news. Okay. Good news. I started the French podcast, Parlons Peu, Parlons Bien, Parlons Vegan. Yes, you did. With How's that my, going? With my friend and colleague, Céline Frey in France, we have produced an introduction, a brief introduction to the program. And we've done one episode where I share my story of going vegan and she shares hers. Our stories are different, unique. We're of very different ages. And we live in very different places. And we will continue with new episodes very soon. I just need to open in my show and then 
I will get back to the next episode. But you can watch it on YouTube. You can watch us because it's a video. It's also available on all of the podcast servers, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, the rest of them. Or you could go to responsibleeatingandliving.com and see the episodes. Now, the interesting thing about YouTube is you can configure it to read captions. So if you want to read the French, you can, or you can put English captions. And if you don't understand French, you can go from there with English captions. But even if you're not going to watch the program because it's French, if you could, just do me a favor, go to YouTube and subscribe just so we have some momentum because we could really use more subscribers as we grow this program. And also, I just want to shout out to Karen's brother, Barry, who is a composer. He wrote the jingle and it's fantastic. So just I, go there, register, you. and just listen to the jingle. It's great. It's <laughs> the really jingle great. is called Fraz and yeah. it's a French jazz. that He put some French flavors, French sounds into a jazzy theme. Did it's he make perfect. did he make up that word phrase? He did. Yeah, he's a he's a punster as well. That <laughs> that Barry. And also a vegan. So he's a vegan artist out there. And I just can't say enough great things about Barry. Check out his website, barryheartglass.com. Is it Karen? Barryheartglass.com. Yeah. Great musician. If you need yourself a jingle, go see Barry. Hey, yeah. And while we're promoting people, if you need a logo or a name like Responsible Eating and Living with a catchy acronym like REAL, Gary DeMattei is yes. the one. Absolutely. Acronyms are us here at Responsible Eating and Living. So if you need an acronym, just give me a buzz. Do they still say give me a buzz or am I showing my age? I probably am. No, just info at realmeals.org and That'll get to us. Hey, one more of these. Know where you stand. This is the latest dating jargon thing. All right. You've heard this ghosting word. All right. Mm. So here it is. The act of disappearing without warning or cutting off all contact with someone you're dating. You're in a relationship with or you have simply matched with online. Ghosting is very dehumanizing. And a lot of people don't understand that. Dr. Jones said ghosting. Okay. Sadly, I have heard about that a number on a number of occasions of people who have been ghosted. Very sad. Very sad. Well, I'm not going to ghost you, Karen. No, but... it's Valentine's Day. And even though we don't really celebrate it, I'm celebrating you and our wonderful relationship. And, and I also want to celebrate this day, this love-filled day with all of the It's All About Food listeners. I may not see you. I may not hear you. I may not ever meet you, but I can feel you and I'm grateful for you. I'm very grateful for all of you too. And Karen, I'm particularly grateful to you. Thank so, you. Thank you. Everybody, have a delicious week. Have a delicious week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.